Wow, Rory was putting was putting on a dance show during the theme song. That was nice, Rory. I liked it. Uh, thank you. Thankfully, I managed to get my top back on in time. But it, <laughs> you know, I need to get myself ramped up for these things. It's a long day at work. I have to get the uh, the energy pumping. How are we doing, Tommy? I'm doing great. Well, welcome, listeners, to the Anglo Italian Pod. If you're listening on any day of the week, which is not Monday, you're doing it wrong because we're currently live on Twitch and YouTube to discuss football with our friends that are joining us from the chat. Good evening, lads. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod and on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod. And if you want to do your good deed of the day, you should also follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. You can find them on Twitter, on Instagram, and we are going to run another giveaway soon. So before we do that, make sure you follow them. Otherwise, you're not going to be eligible. How are you today, bud? Yeah, I'm good. I am good. Like I said, a long um, day at work, but a kind of relatively weirdly football-free weekend. And then I just watched all the highlights in the world. Um, and I realized that I've kind of fallen... I really do love international football. Like I, I, the Nations League final last night got me right back into uh, international football again. I really do yeah. fucking love it. We are going to get on it, but I saw there was a very long Twitter thread started from you. We are going to discuss the details very soon about the Nations League final. But since we're talking about international football, we should say, say it right away. It's official starting on January 9th, which is a Sunday uh, from the following episode on a Monday night. We're going to be covering intensely the Africa Cup of Nations. This was Rory's idea, who is currently rocking an Ivory Coast kit. Yeah, yeah. 2000s Ivory Coast, and it's got Colo Torre's number on the back. So Classic. this is going to be it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to watch these games uh, uh, profusely for the first time in my life. And we are looking for an African football expert. So either you are the person we're looking for and you're listening or you know somebody who could give us a hand. Please slide into our DMs. We are looking for a co-anchor for that month of football. And also, Rory, you want to you want to ask the question about the theme sound? Maybe our listeners can help us. Yeah, exactly. We also need someone to slightly edit our theme song. Um, ideas welcome, but we just—if anyone, honestly, this is just becoming a bit of a, an appeal. If anybody knows anyone who is a music producer or is good with garage band who could give us a hand and change <laughs> I think it's a little more difficult a little bit. Yeah. It would be greatly appreciated. But yeah, I'm really excited to do the Afcon. It's a tournament that like I always watch anyway. I absolutely love it and I've just been waiting for an excuse to talk about it. So why not do it on the pod, right? Why and, not? And then the the final is going to be on a Sunday and of course we're going to do our second watch along following the Champions League final last year. So make sure that well it's four months away from now, but we are going to do that. Rory, are you backing anybody in particular? Cote d'Ivoire, let, let elephants all the way, all oh, the, the way. The elephants, well, nice. Yeah, Ivory yeah. Coast, of course, they are the elephants. I think I'm going to be backing Senegal because I have a kit. My best friend from high school was um, a Senegal, well, Senegal born and bred and also Senegal fan. So... That's going to be also some of the things that are we're going to be discussing today they, since, the qual- yes. since the qualifications are still in place. But Rory, let's start from the biggest headline. France win the Nations League, becoming the very first team in the world to win a World Cup, a Euro and a Nations League. So I know you watched the game. You were hyped up. Tell us more about it. I thought it, oh, the first half was really dull, let's be honest. The first half I spent most of the time on Twitter just reading about other people saying how dull it was. But then the second half absolutely exploded. Um, I think it all started where France hit the crossbar and then Spain go right down the other end. Um, Oyarzabal gets a lovely finish. And it, the pass from, I think it was Busquets, was an absolute like slide rule pass, really beautiful goal. And then straight away, Benzema scores an absolute screamer because, of course, he does. I feel like at this point, he's just used to dragging teams out of the shit. Like, he's just doing it constantly on a match-by-match basis at this point. And then Mbappe with a goal that I did kind of heatedly... No, I just discussed with a friend of the show, Gav Mack, and friend of the show, Andrew McBride from the Hopeless Wanderer pod, about whether it was offside or not. Have you seen the screenshot, Tommy? What did you think? 
I have seen both the screenshot and the highlights, and I was reading a post today about that page that I often mention called at Errori Arbitrali. It's all in Italian, but luckily Instagram introduced the feature of the automatic translation, so you can probably get what they say. Um, and I did not understand what 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 the rule is. So apparently it was not offside because the Spanish defender had a touch on the ball, mm-hmm. uh, therefore putting Mbappé in play. However, the controversy that I seemed to understand, you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong, I seem to understand that since the, <clears throat> the, well, the Spanish defender touched it, it's not offside anymore. But he kind of played the ball in Bappe's direction, and so it could be ruled offside. At the end, I was just left more confused than the beginning. Did you understand whether it's offside or not? Not really. I thought instantly it was offside because you see those offsides given all the time when there's that much of like the body over mm-hmm. to one way. Usually that's yeah. called offside. Now, usually we would like, or I would like, the advantage to be given to attacking teams. But I just feel the fact that it isn't always given means that this is offside because usually it's given offside. Also, I feel like it's quite harsh. And I think it was the, the defender was Eric Garcia. Now, he's not a great defender, but I think it was quite harsh on him. Like if he just... What's he meant to do? Is he meant to just let the ball run through? Because he's just trying to do his job, right? He's trying to get in the way of the ball. He does, but he just ends up playing the guy. I just feel like it was a bit harsh on him. Um, but I don't know. Look, it was still a great goal. Mbappe like put the keeper on his arse and went round him. That's always nice to see. Um, and in that was in a game that, in the large part, Mbappe was really, really quiet. He did nothing. But then he scores the winning goal. And you're like, okay, that's why... That's why he is who he is, I suppose. And like, what it really stood out, what it made stand out to me more was the fact that that Spain are just that one player away from being trophy winners again. And I feel like we had two teams here, France and Manchester United, I'm going to get onto it why, and Spain and Manchester City, right? Because Spain have got all the players in the world, they just need a proper striker. Mm-hmm. And France seemed like there wasn't really much of a like team, but they relied mm-hmm. on individual brilliance. <clears throat> and I feel like I just saw the kind of similarities between the two teams straight there. I was like, oh, so this is just United playing uh, City now. That's what it is. Right. <laughs> I get it. Um, but I, I, it, I like it. I like the parallels, yeah. But I think Spain now, they play, I think they're back to playing the best football on the planet. They're the most entertaining team to watch, I think. They're so entertaining to watch. Oh, I think we realized it already at the Euros uh, in that game against Italy. Like when the bar, when they raised the bar a little bit, um, they really showed up and we've already covered it. They've got a very young team full of potential. And hopefully this is not even a matter of can they perform well in the next World Cup. The next World Cup might as well be a sort of like warm up for I don't know, a decade of domination maybe, because mm-hmm. as you were saying, well, num- number one, we've already seen Spain dominating on international stage for 10 years. But as you were saying, they're playing very good and entertaining football. And again, I think that Luis Enrique maybe had a bit of an unlucky beginning of his career as a manager. His Roma spell was just ridiculous. I remember one of the worst games I've ever watched at the San Siro was Inter-Roma. And the two managers were Gasperini for Inter and Luis Enrique for Roma. And it was awful. It ended right. nil-nil. And it was, honestly, there were people yawning in the stands. They were just yeah, like, yeah, wow, yeah. Inter plays shit, but Roma are like big-time contenders. But then he really picked it up. And they think that he's the right man for the national team to coach the national team. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing a brilliant job. Again, a Nations League title doesn't really mean a lot. I think he's pretty happy with the result anyways seeing that his team was able to defeat the European champions in the semifinals. And they, they put up a fight against France, and they eventually lost for a goal that was, we could argue over and over whether it mm. was offside or not, but it wasn't a clear-cut goal, you know? Yeah, I think, like, look, Spain dominated the game. Spain, like, France, they just took their chances. Spain were the better team, and I think they controlled the game more, but that's what you expect from Spain. They have the ball, they control the game. Um so I think they're really, really close to doing something. I think you're right with Enrique. I've always liked him as a coach. Um, and I think he's doing a really, really good job there. And I think for him, this Nations League thing has been really valuable because 
for players like Gavi and Pedri, like they might not, although Pedri did start throughout the Euros, but players like Gavi, they might not start in major tournaments, but they've now almost had the experience of a major tournament and a major final without the pressure being as big as if it had been a World Cup final or Europa or a European Championship final. So I think it's this uh, tournament is finding this weird little niche in between friendly and major tournament that just means you can enjoy it a bit more there's like a bit more free form a bit more like well we can try things we can see what happens here and i think it's finding a really nice little spot i'm rapidly becoming a massive fan of the nation's league i think it's never going to be as valued as highly as the world cup etc of course it isn't or the european championship but i think it's going to be really really valuable for coaches and for teams and for players i think you're going to see so many more opportunities yeah, I agree with you. But talking about people who are not big fans of the Nations League and especially of the finalina, as we call it in Italian, the little final between the third and the fourth place. I'm talking, of course, about Thibaut Courtois, who was very outspoken about fixture congestion, which means only one thing. Thibaut Courtois listens to the Anglo-Italian pod. Welcome, Thibaut. Welcome, Thibaut. Yes, Welcome, Thibaut. It's good to have you on board. We've been knowing this for quite a while, but we just thought of like making it official now. He's he's a friend of the pod and the listener <laughs> and the intimate friend of ours. And he was like, well, if those guys have the guts to say it, guess what? I'm going to do it too, and I'm going to say it on the mic. So what do you think about that little rant after the game? I think it's interesting because when I clicked on the... I saw the tweet and I was like, right, I'm going to click on it and I know exactly what the comments are going to be. The comments are going to be, well, you get fucking paid enough, so stop moaning and get out there and play. And obviously the first 50 comments were that, right? But then there's a lot of comments that were like, no, I think he's absolutely right. Like, and all he all he said was, we're only playing these games so that FIFA can make... or so that UEFA can make more money. That's why we're playing these games. There is no other need to play this game. And he's absolutely spot on. And then he just said about how last season kind of blended into this season because of COVID and all the delays and stuff. And then they're not, they didn't have the summer off and then they're going to go, they'll get next summer off. Right. But then they're going straight into a season that's going to be interrupted by a world cup. That's then going to be an overextended season. He just said, when do we get, when do we get a rest? He just said, we're all going to be injured. Like we're, we're, we're going to get injured towards the end. I think he just makes a very good point. I think it needs to be, spoken about more because even as we discussed before with like Arsene Wenger coming out and saying a World Cup every two years and stuff they need to like the players need to speak out and say look this isn't sustainable and it isn't like uh, we've already complained a little bit about there being too much football to watch right <laughs> about like you've got the Champions League then you've got the Europa League then you've got the Conference League then you've got the Nations League then you've got your domestic leagues then you've got international talk and it's like i cannot as i would quite happily watch football 24 hours a day but i cannot watch that much football it's not possible so who's yeah. it for like it just and i think it does it will be talked about more and i think the fact that Thibaut courtois has come out and talked about it is great the funny thing is is that whoever runs his um social media account still put a post up before the game like let's go to battle and obviously hadn't really listened to the fact that he <laughs> talked before the game about how he didn't want to play the game so it was quite funny but it was good to see him come out and speak about it anyway and another thing that just came up to my mind um as i often do i'm going to just say it without giving it extra thought and then i will see how it sounds and then why I change the habit decide... of a lifetime tommy why right? change the habit of a lifetime? especially especially if you're a listener of the pod you should know this but i was thinking especially if you're trying to make football uh way more appealing to an international crowd as in europe as like hardcore football heads we kind of know how to keep up with football. We know what an international break is. We know that the leagues are going to get a rest and they're going to come back. Then there is the Africa Cup of Nations. So some players of the main... But especially for an American audience, right? They're trying to make it big in that continent. Especially for an American audience, it's getting a little tough to understand. And I'm not at all undermining the intelligence of our American friends. But it's a difficult, it's a difficult system. Like even the fact that there is club football and international football, then some international players get to leave in the middle of the season because they have to play an international tournament. And then their teammates at the club also will take a break to qualify for the next World Cup. Mm -hmm. And then wait a second, the World Cup is usually in summer, but this one we may, we're going to do it in Qatar. So it's getting a little difficult to follow. 
And I understand why some people could get a little tired because when you follow a sport, you kind of want to be knowledgeable about it, right? Mm -hmm. For example, I remember years back when I started following the NBA, you do your own research, you go online, you see which teams are playing. You're like, okay, I understand the system, right? And the more you know about it, the more passionate you become about yeah. it. If you cannot reach that level of understanding, because maybe there isn't a person also telling you, okay, this is how it works, then the risk is that you're just going to drop out of it. You're just going to be like, fuck it. It's too intense. I'm just going to go back to NFL. They play. Every team has got a bye week. They play every weekend. <laughs> the season ends in February. And then I get to wait another eight months till it starts again. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's a very fair point. And honestly, like <laughs> the girlfriend asked me the question last night that every um, football fan dreads, and that was, "How does the Nations League work?" <laughs> She's like, and I was like, "Oh God, right, okay." So I just I got Ooh. to a point where I could explain promotion relegation, and I was like, "But it feeds into the international tournaments." And she looked at me, I was like, "But I don't even have a clue how that works. Like, I have no idea. I don't even know." So let's just say. It does work into it, but fuck knows. So I think you're right. That like instantly it's like, oh, okay, it doesn't matter. And if I'm not going to understand, I'm not going to bother listening anymore. If you know what I mean? So I think it is like maybe getting a little bit too complicated, but um, American sports are much more complicated. So it's fine. We're still not. The, the rules, <laughs> the rules point, are more yeah. complicated, yeah. but then your organization is, is pretty straightforward. By the way, also my father asked me what the nation's league was last week. He was driving and I was explaining it to him, and after two seconds, he was already looking at the countryside on the, <laughs> outside the window. It was just like, yeah, very cool. Yep, yep, super cool. Yeah, wow. it just feels so interesting. <laughs> but that's also one of the reasons why we were like this year, we were just like, look, all right, it's trial and error with the podcast, right? And the first year, we were trying to like cover everything that was happening. Yeah, and this yeah, year, yeah. we were just like, dude, let's stick to Italian, Anglo-Italian pod, so Premier yeah. League, Serie A, international football, and then when we get to the interesting stages, besides the Champions League, also the Europa League, also the Conference League, but like later on, right now, it's just... Yeah, it be, there's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. It would be and we actually have to talk about how Italy did. What happened to Italy? <laughs> well, I, I'm happy. I'm happy about Italy. Uh, I'm happy for Italy, about the win. Uh, it's important to bounce back right away. Um, mm. I did not watch the game, which, again, says how much people care about the Nations League, but especially about the Finalina. I did watch the highlights. Um, always enjoy seeing a Barella goal. Um, it looked like a pretty even game, and Belgium got very ooh, unlucky, hitting the woodwork four times. Ooh. So definitely very unlucky. Um, it looked like it was a very even game. It could have ended in a draw, and it would have been a scandal. Um, but what I like, I guess that my takeaway is that Italy, they may not win every game. We lost the last one against Spain, but we've reached a certain level of maturity on international stage, which was not, you know, something that would happen automatically. So it means that we've got some very talented young players with a good personality. Um, let's not forget the Bastonis, Barellas, they've, they've contributed heavily to bringing a, a title to Inter Milan. Mm -hmm. And they seem, especially Barella, man, that guy is a personality that is beyond me. He looks like a good group of guys. Uh, Mancini starting to try new things. He seems over immobile as a striker. Um, about finally, time. I think we can all say it's about time, right? And we've got we've got this exciting youngster, Raspadori from Sassuolo. Um, he, I don't believe he had many shots in the game against Belgium. But still, he's getting regular football. And I mm -hmm. think he will become a big name in the future. Um, so yeah, I'm happy with the win also because as we will cover later, um, there might be a big, big game coming up in the next international break in November against Switzerland, but we're going to cover that soon. Do you get to watch the game, Rory? What did you think? Um, no, I didn't. Unfortunately, I have seen the highlights. Um, I was in Sempione. I was enjoying, we're, we're just pushing every weekend while it's still warm. We'll go and sit in the park until it gets too cold. Um, but I was, I did see lots of French and Spanish people milling around. Um, for the game, what do I think? I think you're right. I think Italy, they needed to get that just straight back on the horse, so to speak. Um, with Belgium, it's just another one where they flatter to deceive over and over and over again. And I feel like eventually, like in about 10 years' time, people are going to look back and go, why were the two managers that managed that squad 
Wilmots, is that his name? Wilmots, I can't remember his name. Wilmots and mm-hmm. Inez. Like, how did those two managers, how were they trusted with the greatest generation that Belgium have ever produced by some distance? Like, I think <clears throat> off the top of my head, Belgium have never really been competitive before that. I think they got to a semi-final once, maybe. But this generation is so clear of anything they've ever done. And their managers have just been really underwhelming. I think every time they get close, they just fall at the last hurdle. There's always kind of, I don't know, defensive mistakes or a hole in the team somewhere. I think it's just they're gonna be they're gonna be regretting they're gonna be regretting it so much in ten years when Lukaku, De Bruyne and all them have never won anything. And Steve Cole coming in with the with the gut punch for all the Spurs fans listening, Belgium are the Spurs of international football. I think Spurs wish they were as good as Belgium, but yeah, they are the Spurs of international football. I'll take that. It's just it's just frustrating. Also, there were a lot of jokes uh, I saw by the Italian fans about like, wow, this team is the first according to the FIFA rankings. Well, who is behind the FIFA rankings? So I don't even want to get down that rabbit hole. I'm not going to check what's the criteria for uh, the best ranking. But guys, you need to review that because it doesn't make sense that Belgium are first and they've bottled the Euros, they've bottled the World Cup. The Nations League, they were winning 2-0 in the semifinal against French, against France, and they mm-hmm. lost 3-2. It's, uh, I mean, it's also, as I'm saying, that Italy have got a strong mentality on the international stage. It feels like Belgium's is very fragile. Um, yeah. And De Bruyne, I don't know if you heard the comments. I, did, I just read the quote-unquote, but I would have to watch the entire interview. Um, but he said, we are just a team like many others we are 11 players put together to play on a pitch but we are not a bunch of superstars we are not a team unlike italy like he was just like we're italy are maybe they have less bright talent but they're more of a team we have talent but together we're just any team and you can beat us and it's but how long have these people been they've been playing together for a long time a lot of these players they've got three Possibly two, three tournaments under their belt together. With I think like three the, tournaments, yeah. Yeah, Lukaku, De Bruyne, Witzel, Courtois, like that core of players. They've got a good few tournaments behind them now. And you can't say that like, oh, we've just been thrown together. It's like, nah, you all kind of came through at the same time. And you, you I think it's you more... You should have more, done better. You've not even reached a final. Ultimately, I think you've not was, even reached a final. I think it was more of a jab to the manager. Just like, you've got stars, but you cannot play them together. Yeah. Like, you've never really... I don't know, but yeah, it's kind of disappointed. Again, the, there is it's not a big competition and they arrived arriving fourth or third wouldn't have changed anything. They would still be first in the FIFA rankings, right? But uh well, yeah, exactly, exactly. But no, like at the next World Cup, like if they don't really if they don't make a solid push in the next World Cup, then it's going to be really one of the biggest disappointing disappointments for an entire generation. In world, um, in world football. So there are a bunch of people writing, and I actually wanted to go back to the chat to highlight the comment from the Hopeless Wanderer, who says, a suggestion to keep it competitive, just two international breaks per year, plus a yearly tournament every year. For example, the Euros World Cup played in the summer. What do you say, Rory? I think having a designated time for international breaks is definitely a better idea. I think having like where you just say maybe like a month where it's just like, this is the international break. You're going to play all those games then, then we'll go back to the season. I think that does kind of make more sense rather than this now where it's like two Premier League games, international break, three Premier League games, international break. And it's just like, oh, for God's sake, you can't keep on top of it. The players are flying all over the place. It's just, especially for the South American players, it's just a nightmare, right? All the guys having to play for Jamaica or like out to South Korea or whatever. That's like a proper nightmare. So I think it does need to be organized better. Um, and I think, look, tournaments should always play, always be played in the summer. Just summer tournaments, please. No other choice apart from AFCON for obvious reasons. But like just summer tournaments, please. Yeah, I think it makes so much more sense. What do you think? I ugh, I like it. Maybe not an international competition every year. Look, I am the first one to say that these people are paid millions for the job that they do. But again, football is a sport where you get to use your body. And if you don't use it wisely, you can ruin it for, for real. Mm-hmm. So I think that one a, turn, a summer tournament every year would be too much once every two years, just like it is with the World Cup and the Euros. You get one summer off and then there is the tournament. One summer yeah. off and then there is the tournament. I think that's the best way to go at it. Definitely not tournaments in the winter. 
That's gonna suck. Well, that so whole much. Uh, just just quickly, that whole argument annoys me. Of like, you're you're paid enough. Yeah. Well, an extra fifty grand a year doesn't make your hamstrings any better. Like, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, like yeah. you're still yes, you get paid lots of money, but it doesn't necessarily mean you or instantly you never get injured. Like, the money doesn't really come into it when it comes into like the peak level of like athletic performance and what that takes that's going to have a toll on the body no matter how much you earn like so i think the argument kind of falls apart fairly quickly but and talking about it just came up to my mind because i wrote on quote today um before we move on to the other world cup qualifiers across the world but a certain neymar aka rory's favorite footballer of all time said that he doesn't know if he will take part in any more international tournaments after next year because he's not sure he can cope with the stress football causes him. Rory, what do you say? Um, I'm sure that he has, I'm sure he has more pressure on him than I've ever had in my life. So I'm not going to start slagging him off for being like, a snowflake or whatever the gammons like to say but oh here it is but... that's why i was moving my hands i was like yeah but... <laughs> but um i just don't like him i just feel like it's a bit of like pr i don't know i don't know i i think he'll still be playing past i think for brazilians it really matters a lot to play for your international team to play for mm-hmm. brazil means a lot it would I would expect him to give up club football and continue international football because he obviously doesn't give a shit about playing for PSG. So I would be more surprised about him giving up the chance to play for Brazil because it seems like it really does mean something to him. So if it means as much to him as it seems to, then the pressure must be a lot if he's considering to, considering quitting. But the what I saw was he was he was considering quitting football, like not just. But just no, football yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in completely, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was going to, he was referring to football in general. And our friend, Uncle Sharma from Intervideos Weekly. Yes, Uncle, mate. nice to see you. There are a yeah. lot of people. I'm going to give a shout out. Uncle Sharma, <laughs> Steve Cole, Bryce Jones, the Hopeless Wanderer podcast, myself and Rory. It's a bit of a party. Uncle Sharma says Neymar has lasted longer than most Brazilians <laughs> when you think about it. And it's true. And it's true. And we were just talking about about him last week. He's the second most prolific goal scorer for the national team. And uh, do you remember when he got injured against Colombia and the people on the streets were crying in Brazil? Holding their shirts up at the World Cup and stuff. Yeah, 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 man. It was just like, you guys, maybe take it a little too far i don't know like should you all be crying like i don't know it's not like brazilians uh, to take football too seriously nah, like they yeah, had a full week of mourning after that world cup but tommy i've got a quick question for you if neymar was to retire next summer do you think he goes down as a all-time great because i don't think he does i think he does for me um i look when very quickly we've got still a lot of things to cover but yeah, we do. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. when neymar came to europe i want to say it was around 2012 2013 um, I thought that there was a lot of hype around him, like way too much hype. I was like, this guy has never played in Europe. Like, he's never played against European defenses. Like, he's never going to make it in Europe. Like, let's see. I'm going to keep a close eye on him. And then when I started seeing him play the first season in La Liga, it was every defender's main goal during the game to try and break his shins. He had, mm-hmm. like, he suffered <laughs> from the most awful tackles. Like, it wasn't even football. It was just like, go get the Brazilian and break his legs. But then, man, he there was a stat that I had to look up again. He's not, one season, I think, he went on, like, 85 assists for mm. Messi and Suarez combined in all competitions. And there was an argument of people saying, well, it's easy when you play with Messi and uh, Suarez. And it's just like, it's not that easy, man, to not look like he looked on the same level as, as Messi and Suarez very often and uh, I really I really liked him at Barcelona the PSG move was controversial also because you kind of like move away from the spotlight and uh, I, I kind of see why he did it for so much money and to try to become a club legend there um, but the my passion for Neymar has definitely decreased ever since his move to PSG. I think he's an incredible footballer. Um, he needs to maybe win a World Cup with Brazil to go down as one of the all-time greats. But he's definitely in the in the, in the conversation of the top 15, I would say. 
Okay. No, I think I let's agree to disagree. I think I'm definitely siding with the people in the comments who are saying Bryce has said one of the biggest what could have been, in my opinion. I think if he hadn't moved to PSG, I think his career could have been so much, so much greater. And hopeless wanderer coming in with uh, you, I couldn't have put it better myself. Flat as to deceive, could have been a legend, but ruined his legacy by being a spoiled brat meaning I have less respect for him. The fact that he's only played 70-odd games for PSG in the time he's been there. He always, we've made jokes about it before, but he's always injured around his sister's birthday for whatever reason. Mm. I feel like he definitely has other priorities and yeah, it's just ruined his legacy a little bit. Because you're right, when he came over, it was like, this guy is going to like tear Europe to pieces. And he did for a bit. And then he just stopped. Yeah. And Agu Sharma says when he overtakes Pelé's goal tally, he's an all-time great, undeniably. I mean... It's hard to argue with that, really. (laughs) Very hard to argue with that. But Rory, let's stay in Europe. Actually, let's come back to Europe from Brazil and take us through the World Cup qualifiers of the Northern Sea. No, not the Northern Sea. What is it? The Atlantic Ocean. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about UK and uh, (laughs) Ireland and Northern Ireland. Well, let's start with um, England um, battering Andorra 5-0, as to be, uh, to be expected, really. But what everyone was talking about was Phil Foden's new role within the team as he played in central midfield. And obviously, because they're England fans, instantly started comparing him to Andrea Pirlo. But oh. he did have an incredible game against Andorra um, and he was playing some incredible passes he really was like absolutely dictating the play ran the game against Andorra um, but <laughs> um, Jack Grealish got a goal and of course against Andorra <laughs> against Andorra but the one that I'm not going to say against Andorra for is because Bakayo Saka scored <laughs> again against the Andorra first, <laughs> the first Arsenal player to score in consecutive games for England in what feels like about 50 years. So it's great to see Bukayo Saka absolutely smashing it. Um, but the highlight of the game for most people was that um, Ildefons Lima, who, by the way, I'm actually going to try and contact because he's brilliant on Twitter. Um, he is 41 years old. He's an absolute like Andorra legend. And he came on in midfield, tried to run against Sancho and pulled his hamstring. (laughs) And then on Twitter made a joke about a sniper shooting him and told Sancho to calm down. Um, So that was great (laughs) to see all around. Look, yeah, it is. I don't want to get into the debate about whether these teams like should like have the right to play against England. Because I think they, they, they do. Whereas a lot of people kind of disagree with me, but these games do feel like a bit of a waste of time, but it's nice to see, like, I don't know for the players on the fringe of the England squad, they managed to get a game and Bikaro Saka scored. So sod it. It was worth it. So that was five nil to England. Then um, as always from England, I'm going to go on to Ireland because that is where, my heart is torn. And Ireland, finally, Stephen Kenny got his first competitive win as Ireland boss as they beat Azerbaijan 3-0 away. This is the first Ireland game I've not watched this qualification <laughs> campaign, and they win. So now I can't watch any of the others. I can no longer watch Ireland games. By all accounts, Ireland were really, really good. But the story, again, that was the headline kind of away from the pitch was that Callum Robinson scored two goals and he came out before the game and said that he is refusing to be vaccinated despite having COVID twice. Um, And he's just, obviously all the media was just asking him about his vaccination. To be fair, he was just up front and said, look, I'm not doing it. I've had COVID twice. Yeah, it was rough, but I don't want to get vaccinated. So stop asking me questions. He celebrated and put his fingers in his ears when he scored the second goal. Two beautiful goals. And the third goal was scored by Ogbene, who becomes the first African-born player to score for Ireland, being born in Nigeria and being raised in Cork. Um, It was a great header, but the Azerbaijani goalkeeper was stood behind his line, which always helps, right? Mm. (laughs) He headed the ball, and then the keeper caught it and then saw that he was basically behind the line. So a bit, yeah, some dodgy goalkeeping from that guy. Really dodgy goalkeeping, but... Ireland get a win for pride because qualification is definitely gone, but it's good to see Stephen Kenny get his first win. Elsewhere, staying within the home nations, we have Scotland beating Israel 3-2 in the 94th minute. Scott McTominay getting the goal. This game had everything. It had VAR controversy. It had missed penalties from Scotland. It had Zahavi, do you remember? 
Do you know who's a Harvey, the striker? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He was the guy who pissed a lot of people off on Twitter by putting Israel flags over Palestine flags. Um, he scored to the Scotland fans doing this, and then all the Scotland fans gave him loads of abuse on Twitter with Palestine flags, so that's good to see. Um, but Scotland genuinely really have a chance of making the playoffs for the World Cup. If I was I was looking right now, so Denmark are leading at 21 points. They've won all of their games, followed by Scotland at 14 and Israel at 10. So remember, in Europe, the first team makes it directly and the second teams, they're going to face off in a playoff bracket, I believe. Um, do you think Scotland have what it takes to, to make it to the playoffs? Uh, undoubtedly. I think if results go their way tonight or tomorrow night, I can't remember when it is, they could qualify with their next game, like for the playoffs. So look, Steve Clark is doing an incredible job. Look, at the Euros, they definitely like didn't do well at the Euros and they, it was very Scotland, but they haven't got to a tournament in ages. And if he got them to two tournaments in a row, that is outstanding for like, and this, it seems that now there's a bit of like, there's some encouragement around this Scotland team. There's some decent players. They've got Andy Robertson. They've got Billy Gilmore. They've got John McGinn. They've got like a few players there that are kind of building this squad. That means they've got a fairly good team that could give most people a game as long as they don't have that Scotland moment that just is like some comedy farcical moment that happens in every tournament. Um, but I think Steve Clark's doing an incredible job and the John McGinn goal in this game is absolutely beautiful as well. The great celebration with like the old school like Pilot hand was a great little celebration. Um, but seeing Hamden going absolutely mental, it's just always great to see. I love the Scottish crowd, and that noise was intense. So for a lot of the home nations, the home nations, that'll really piss off any Irish people. I apologize. For a lot of the home nations, it's been quite a good week, but not for everyone. Wales, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. They've not qualified for a World Cup since 1958, I don't think. And it looks like they won't be going to the next one. Um, they drew two all with Czech Republic. It's going to be a real uphill battle for them now. And to rub salt into to the wounds, the goalkeeper absolutely shagged it from an Aaron Ramsey back pass, letting the Czech, letting the Czech score. And it looks like they're just going to miss out on another tournament. I saw a look. Everyone can guess how much I love Aaron Ramsey. I fucking love Aaron Ramsey. And it winds me up that he would never get a chance at Juventus. But I saw an interview with him where he was talking about how much it would mean to get to a World Cup for him and the Welsh boys. And I think that Wales squad, we've talked about it before, because it feels like it feels like it's such a club environment. I think it would be really nice to see them at a World Cup, and I really want them to make it. But I feel like this is really their last opportunity for the likes of Bale, Ramsey. I feel like one more might be a bridge too far. But I think you might be being a little over dramatic because they're on even points with the Czech Republic, uh, formerly known as Czech Republic. Now it's Czech, 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 yeah. Czech, yeah. But I feel like their fixtures coming up aren't kind at all. So, no, they're on even points, but they're they have one game in hand, so they're on eight points, and their next games are against Estonia, Belarus, and Belgium. Um, that's the big one, it's the Belgium game last match, last match round. I think that's see, the one where it's going to be. But see, let's know. let's just get into one second. So the the game against Belgium is going to be. I'm going to tell you exactly when it's going to be because at that point Belgium are already going to be qualified, and they. So the game against Belgium is going to be on November 16th. They are already automatically qualified as the first in the group. I don't see why they should start like the the squad that they will start. They would start start against like a team that they're actually competing with. So they might get. They need three wins, definitely like yeah. three wins or like two wins and one draw or one win and two draws and cross their fingers. But well, two wins. They definitely need the two wins. The one but, that worries. The one that worries me as well as the game against Belgium is Belarus. Belarus are not a. They're not a pushover. I know we think of them as like this outskirt, but recently they genuinely are starting to improve. And I think Belarus away is going to be, I think it's away. That's going to be a tricky one. They've um, won one game in their last 10, Rory. <laughs> mate, honestly, I, I'm telling you now that is going to be a tricky game for Wales. That's going to yeah, be. Yeah, no, and game. Wales, and the last time that Wales beat them, it was a three, two. So yeah, they, the only team that they were able to score against over, they were Azerbaijan and Wales. So I see why you're worried. I see why you're worried. And what about Northern Ireland, Rory? 
Well, they were absolutely outclassed by a very efficient Switzerland, but they really were not helped were not helped by the referee. I don't know if you've seen the red card there, Tommy. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Um, so within the first half, Jamal Lewis gets booked. And then Northern Ireland, this is what they do. They slow the game down. They waste time. They're very, like, you know, cynical. Oh, um, and he was holding the ball. And the ball was out of play for, I think, totally 45 seconds. The referee doesn't warn him before he books him, but then books him and then realizes that it's his second booking. And you see it on the ref's face. And he's like, oh, fuck, I've just booked him for the second time. And then he's like, okay, and just sends him off on the 37th, 37th minute for time wasting. So I don't know what you think about this. I think because it really annoys me time wasting. And in the first half, time wasting really annoys me. Because I'm like, Christ, life, you're not even trying to play the game. So to an extent, I can see like, yeah, letter of the law, that's time wasting. Red card, off you go. What do you think, Tommy? I it's a really difficult one. Well, you can I think that the face that you were talking about that the referee ma- made says it all. It's like a booking that you give. Well, you don't want to get someone sent off for that. You usually you usually see that the referee runs towards the goalkeeper and is like, this is the last time you do it. I'm going to send you off mm-hmm. next time. There is usually a warning. Probably the goalkeeper, the, the referee had been worried about these like antics that Northern Ireland do. And he just didn't think about it. And he just booked in. Look, guys, as much as I love singing songs against referees at the stadium, uh, I love to like insult them and all that. It's a tough fucking job. I wouldn't want to do it yeah. <laughs> or anything in the world. And I think that we actually, sometimes we see less mistakes than, than could be possible. And this is one of them. Like you never see this one. And the referee was like, fuck, I should have not booked him. But hey, mm-hmm. it happens. And by the law, it's a yellow card. But Rory, it you were did, talking about... It did... Yeah. No, sorry, it, it, it did swing the game, but I think Switzerland probably would have won the game anyway. I think the game was like fairly heavily shifted towards Switzerland before the red card. I think the red card just kind of confirmed it. But Tommy, this means that Italy's group is not looking like a certainty for Italy. Italy could have a bit of a struggle here. They could have a massive struggle. Can you see me hiding behind my <laughs> pop shoe? Are you going to be missing your second World Cup in a row? Oh, what, what are you talking about? Rory, don't, don't say it out loud. I'm aggressively knocking <laughs> on wood. So let's, let's go one step at a time. Okay, so Switzerland have one game in hand, which they're going to play tomorrow night, meaning tonight for the listeners... We're listening on a Tuesday. Now, they're going to play against Lithuania. And Lithuania have won only one of their last five international fixture, which, however, is the latest they've played just a few days ago against Bulgaria. If Switzerland win the game against Lithuania, they will be on even points with Italy. It's difficult that they will... Um, outscore Italy in the goal difference I will have to check uh, which one is the uh, the criteria but little does it matter because Italy are actually going to take on Switzerland on November the 12th that's the last game of the World Cup qualifiers and who finishes on top goes directly to the next stage which is the World Cup otherwise it's playoff time and the last time oh no sorry it's the second to last game because then you have to go away You have to go away to Windsor Park in Northern Ireland. Now, I was researching this a little bit, and Italy did miss out on the 1958 World Cup by drawing nil-nil at Windsor Park in 1957. It's an omen, Tommy. All these omens, they add together. It's not an easy place to go, Belfast. Do you want to go Belfast in November? I don't. Not a joke. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. (laughs) Belfast in November. I always think, when I want to think of a terrible pitch in the middle of the winter, I always think of, like, Eastern Europe. But then you say Belfast in November, and the way it sounds, it's already, ooh. Mate, Ireland gets, oh, awful, awful. Yeah. What can I say? Go Lithuania. I've always been a... I'm going to pull a Romelu Lukaku in here. I've always been a Lithuanian fan since I was a kid. It's always been my dream to support Lithuania against Switzerland. And so, go the Lithuanians. No, it's going to be... Man, if we... It's going to be tough. Like, if Switzerland do win this game and they think they will win it, we need to come to be perfect in November. Um, That's why it was so important to win our last Nations League game to really show that it was just a slip against the Spain. Spain are a very good team, but we need to keep our focus, our composure, um, 
Where are you asking on the chat, guys? Will <laughs> I you want to get make more. the world go? I want to get some. I want to get some opinions. <laughs> well, nah, nah. that would be definitely, definitely a very sad day if he didn't qualify. But there, there would be the playoffs probably. So we will see. We shall see. But let's go to Africa, Rory, because there were World Cup qualifier, actually AFCON qualifiers in Africa before we go to South America, where I have a few headlines for you. Well, I was going to do a rundown of every group, then I realized it was 10 groups, and I was like, okay, let's keep it to Prem and Serie A links. So um, let's go for Mares. So in Group A, Mares scored two as um, Algeria beat Niger 6 1. Um, Burkina Faso also beat Djibouti 4 0 with some great goals. Um, Algeria and Burkina Faso fighting for the top spot there. Elsewhere in Group D, I'm trying to find it. Is it Group D? Group F, ugh. Egypt beat Libya 1-0 with an absolute rocket from Marmouche. Um, Egypt and Libya are the ones fighting for qualification there. We had a great goal from Boga for the Ivory Coast as they beat, I'm just looking through my notes. Um, oh, where's it gone? So many groups, so many <laughs> groups. These great podcasting, you guys. Uh, take, <laughs> relax and take notes while yeah. we show you how to make a podcast. I promise the AFCON coverage will be more organized. Here we go. Ivory Coast beat Malawi, Malawi 3-0 away. Boga scored an absolute banger. And Cameroon beat Mozambique 1-0 in that group as well. It, the way the fixtures are falling, it means each team have played each other twice within the space of like three days. So they've played each other home and away. Um, so Cameroon beat Mozambique again, 3-1 with Chupo Moting, who I'm starting to think might not be the worst striker in the world. Um, Chupo Moting getting two goals in that game. Um, what other Premier League links have we got? Thomas Partey finally, finally scored. He scores for Ghana like fairly regularly, but for Arsenal, he's still yet to score. He scored a nice goal for them as they beat um, Ethiopia. No, they beat Zimbabwe. Um, so it's all looking quite, most of the groups are kind of, kind of decided, but the big, big result was in Group C, Central African Republic beat Nigeria 1-0 in Lagos. This is their first win in 11 games since 2019, right? It's the first time they've ever beat Nigeria. And before you ask, yes, Osimhen did miss lots of chances. But <laughs> then in the return leg, I mean, uh, two days later, Nigeria battered them, battered them, 2-0. And yes, Osimhen did score. So classic Osimhen all through Nigeria. But Central African Republic making a statement. That was like the... Uh, Result that really stood out, and the scenes afterwards were really beautiful. The players, like you could see, they really wanted that win. And beating one of like Africa's giants is a big statement. But all of all of these groups, um, only half of the teams that top the groups will go through as they all go into a playoff. Now, these qualifiers go into they go for AFCON qualification and World Cup qualification, so it kind of counts for both. Even more confusion and more complicated stuff but i would definitely recommend searching out the boga goal and the marmouche goal for egypt because they were beautiful so good to finally starting to get my eye in with african football and next time it'll be a bit more organized it's just seeing group a to j just scrambled my brain a little bit i actually where we i think this is actually only world cup qualifiers because it feels like the afcon groups are already ready to go um, no, but I, I think they use I, now. Ah, they're is, adding another group at the end. I think they they use it for the next tournament as well. But I'd have to check. Oh, that. all right, all yeah. right. Well, in South America, brace tight because in South America there is only one group for World Cup qualifications. It's a group with ten teams. The majority of teams have already played eleven games. Only two teams have played ten. Them being Brazil and Argentina. Ah. Uh, one plus one makes two. Ah, that's why they didn't play that game, because the police stormed the pitch, right? So there are still... The impressive thing about this, um, this, uh, this qualification group is that each team plays each other twice, but they're already on 11 games, and there are still seven to go. So it means that even teams like Venezuela, who are bottom with seven points, I mean, if theoretically they won all seven games, well, they could probably try and get there. 
Now, Rory, do you remember how many teams actually advanced from the South American group to the World Cup? The top of my head, I'm going to say, <clears throat> I'm going to say three, and then there's one that goes into a playoff against Oceania, right? It's four and a half. Damn. So, yeah, the first okay, four right. teams, they qualify directly. And then the fifth team is like the half, and they're going to an interzone playoff with another continent. Feels I a lot think like it's Oceania, race. and it's almost always New Zealand because Australia are now in Asia. Yeah. So the currently Brazil are leading. They have won uh, nine games and drawn one. They're, so they're on 28 points. Uh, Argentina are trailing at 22 with 10 games played, six uh, wins, four draws. And then they're followed by Ecuador and Uruguay. Down, down, down. We find Chile at eighth. Uh, however, they're on 10 points. And remember, there are still seven games to play. So everything is still possible. The headline from South America is definitely um, Lionel Messi becoming the mm -hmm. first South American player to get to 80 international goals. So congratulations, Lionel um, and the thing that really touched me was uh, Lautaro Martinez crying mm -hmm. after scoring a game for Argentina. And I was like, wait, did they lose that game? And then I checked and they had won very comfortably, 3-0. So what's up, Lautaro? Are you missing Milan too much? You miss playing for Inter. We know that. The reason was, and it really touched my heart, the reason was because it was the first time that both his girlfriend and his daughter were sitting on the stands watching him play for Argentina. Wow. And when he scored, he said... At first, I simply celebrated. Then I kind of, he said, there was this quote-unquote that I really liked. He said, at first, I simply celebrated. Then when I got, got subbed off, he said, I had one minute where I just started thinking about, like, life intensely. And I was just mm -hmm. like, look at this, like, scoring for my international team. My family is here. I, like, play the sport that I love. And I just teared up. And I was just like, Lautaro, man, I love it. Good job for yeah, I saw the picture this morning. It was really, really kind of... It was a nice picture in a weird way of like a man crying, if you know what I mean. But you're like, for it to, to see that it meant so much to him. And yeah, I think you forget how much maybe the empty stadiums and stuff did affect players. And especially for a player who I want to say he broke into the Argentina team during COVID, right? So maybe mm -hmm. he hadn't really mm -hmm. had the chance for his family and stuff to be there. And obviously not if this is the first time. So it's... It's great to see that it meant so much to him. And look, we could talk about Lautaro for about an hour. I think we both are in love with him. So I think no, but it's I great think to see him like no. I just think it. I just think that it's great that he's like he's become an Argentinian regular and he mm -hmm. he's their forward. And for me, like I was looking the other day at the um, shortlist for the Ballon d'Or. And there were three oh, interplayers. We need, that. we need three. to talk about that. We can talk about it at the end. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like there were three interplayers in the in the shortlist, and I'm like, when is the last time that three as many as three interplayers were nominated? So this year it was Lautaro, Barella, and of course Lukaku, who plays for Chelsea now. But I think he was nominated for the yeah. Ballon d'Or yeah, yeah, yeah. for what he accomplished with Inter, and then what followed this summer and everything. Um, but yeah, and. Seeing Lautaro, like our striker, our number 10 in the shortlist for the Blonde Door, fuck yeah. I love That's it. great to see, man. That's great By the way, see, we've got a question from the Hopeless Wanderer. Which team do we think will suffer most with AFCON taking place? Liverpool? Napoli, perhaps? I'm going for Napoli, man. Napoli are screwed. I think Liverpool are really going to struggle. <laughs> like They're going to lose Salah and Mane, right? And Keita. Um, uh, there's going to be more Matip. Um, I feel like they're gonna. There's a, gonna be a fair few players that they're gonna miss, but I think yeah, it's hard to look beyond Napoli being like the spine of their team disappearing for a month is gonna be. Is we talked about it last episode, right? It could be the moment, or it could be the period that decides that Napoli don't win the Scudetto. <laughs> like it could be that huge, right? And that I don't win on fantasy football, probably. <laughs> More importantly, yeah, and the fact that Tommy hopefully goes below me in the table in fantasy. But guys, strategy. Since I knew this would happen, I got all of the remaining Napoli strikers. So pretty much my forwards <laughs> are all Napoli's. So when Ozyman is not there. The others will have to play, so I got all of them. Chestnut checkers, chestnut definitely, checkers. definitely. Petania in your starting lineup does not quite sound as appealing as Oziman, but hey, we'll give it a shot for one he month. Gets the job see. done. I like Petania, but Tommy, what, before we go, we've got a couple of minutes. What did you think of the Ballon d'Or list? Mm -hmm. No, Federico Chiesa. Yeah, I mean, Federico but there was Chiesa. Mason Mount. 
Yeah, the 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 oh, sorry, Matip retired from international football. I didn't know that. Thanks, Bryce. I had no idea. I missed that completely. Right. Thank you. Um, well, about so the shortlist for the Ballon d'Or. It's kind of funny, like. It's it doesn't matter if you if you are in the list, knowing that you're not gonna even get tenth, probably. No, it probably doesn't matter. But I mean, Federico Chiesa was one of the revelations this year in international football over the past two years, and I think that he's really shown that he's gonna be there for a while. He's like one of the we've said it, not afraid mm-hmm. to repeat it. One of the generational players of this new generation, in my opinion, definitely deserved the shout. I was a little di- disappointed. Um, who do you think the Ballon d'Or is going to go to? I think it's probably going to go to Messi or Ronaldo. Why? Uh, but why? why? I don't know. Because it will. I think it why? should. I think it should go to Lewandowski because he should have won it last year. And let's just give it him this year because he's continued that form. But I think I get the feeling that there'll be one more like Messi shot into the sky or something before it's all like retired if you know what i mean i think it, there'll be the one last one of them winning it who do you think is going to get it i don't know I, i'm afraid it's going to be a messi or ronaldo again um if lukaku had had it should be Lewandowski. yes bryce i like it because this it was such weird so weird in international football and football all around with COVID, and being at it last year and they've given messi and ronaldo ballon doors when they didn't deserve them there is a very good shout for Jorginho. Jorginho has won a shit ton this year, and he was kind of key. I'm not in... having it. I'm not having it. You're not having, I'm not it. having it. Sergio Busquets never got a shout for Ballon d'Or, and this season from Jorginho does not even come close to Busquets' greatest ever season. Like, well, I'm not having it. Well, and also about the Ballon d'Or, um, I just think that it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, we've... It just doesn't make a lot of sense, the Ballon d'Or overall. There was one year when Snyder could have made it easily for mm-hmm. when we won the when Inter Milan won the Champions League. He was in the World Cup final with the Netherlands and he pinpointed the pass for fucking Arian Robin, yeah. who missed in front of Casillas. That would have been like definitely Ballon d'Or contender. No, he Messi won it in the end. And I remember like at Zeta dello Sport in Italy, the title was like Messi question mark really question mark again. Yeah. It was just like, come on, guys, what's the meaning of this trophy anymore? So no, think I, think, we'll... I, I think I agree. And as we've discussed before, never, Nedved winning it over Thierry Henry will always forever boil my blood <laughs> that season. So I think like, yeah, how much does it really matter? Not really. How much does it like, is it just a popularity contest? And like, is it just based through narrative like how much the papers talk about one person getting it usually means they get it right i don't know so it's like the kind of media honey at the time i don't know the problem is that if messi gets one then they're gonna have to give another one to ronaldo if ronaldo gets one then they're gonna have to give messi another one so they're uneven that that competition cannot end with one winning over the other one that competition no there has, has to be, be there has to be a winner tommy we need it we need an answer to the debate, otherwise it will go well, on no, until the no, day we because, die and beyond. It's such a boring debate at this point. <laughs> no, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And uh, there are no weirder accounts than the people on Twitter who really rep Ronaldo and Messi. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets really weird really quick. Like, they are some weird, and weird I, people. And they hate. I hate when it's just like I don't know how good does Haaland rank uh, on the all-time strikers, and then you read the comment section, and it's like Ronaldo is goat. Messi is goat. Goat Messi. Goat Ronaldo. You're just like, oh, fuck it. Go do something with your life. Like, we're talking about another guy. But I agree. I think I agree the most with Bryce. I think Lewandowski didn't get, for some fucking stupid reason, he wasn't awarded the most ambitious individual trophy in world football. Then give it to him. He deserved it. No, when I think he absolutely deserved it. Last question, I think, because we are coming up to five seconds left of the show. From our friend... When- Teddy, who's probably going to come on sometime to speak about Manchester United, another friend from Minneapolis, Lex Bro of mine when we were lacrosse buddies. Another he's United still... fan, Christ alive. No, he's uh... a Manchester City fan. Manchester City oh, fan. Oh, Man City, okay. Oh, that's a bit bad. He says, <laughs> when do you think that Holland will be a serious contender for the trophy? I think I think it could be already in a few years, but he needs to win something. Like Boris, Either he stays at Borussia Dortmund and they win something or at another club. Who knows? Maybe Manchester City. Theodore, and they're going to win the Champions League, and he's going to win the Ballon d'Or. 
and then it would be very funny to talk about it with Bryce, who's a Manchester United fan. But I think we are done, guys. We're slightly running over time. It was super fun. Guys, thank you for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to see that there is some interaction. Right now, it's gone to banter. Bryce is telling Theodore, nice, sexy headshot. Uh, Ted, let's see if Ted is going (laughs) to clap back before we're done with the stream. Rory, anything to tell our listeners before we send them off? No, just thank you for bearing with us, with us not being able to have a live show last week. Blame Mark Zuckerberg. Um, But it's good to be back. We will be back on Thursday. And yeah, they're on forward. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at uh, Italian Anglopod and on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. Nailed them both. Look at that. Follow at Sports Club Maps. Have a cheeky order. Look at some of their stuff. It's fucking great. Um, so yeah that's it thanks guys thanks for joining us Tommy send us out guys club football is back in T minus 5 just hold on tight <laughs> Serie A Premier League La Liga Ligue 1 Eredivisie Bundesliga it's all going to be back soon Liga Nosh. Liga Nosh actually I should have said it before Ligue 1 guys thank you so much for tuning in as Theodore claps back at Bryce how old is your picture high school they are having some fun this is the reason why you should join us every Monday night at 8pm Central European time Talk to you soon, guys. Bye.